Hello, IP friends. Welcome to IPC with Rita. Yup, this is episode 99. Oh my gosh, guys, I'm super excited. Uh, we have just one more episode to the 100 episode. But then, if this is your first time listening to my podcast, my name is Rita Aunichinda, and I talk about copyright, trademark, patent, industrial design, trade ticket, land variety, geography, and education. And now for my returning listeners, you guys already know the drill. Um, welcome back to my show. Please, if you haven't listened to the last two episodes where I reviewed the Nigerian Copyright Act and I also invited the legal advisor for the um, Authors Association of Nigerian Authors, yeah, um, Bentex, please check it out and join me as we count down to our 100 episodes. But yeah, um, let's get into today's conversation. So I'm just going to ask how many of you saw my post about who our next guest is. If you did, send me a voice note or an email to ipseriesinfo at gmail.com. I owe you a... I don't want to say a date, but yeah. Uh, because I am a movie person, I love movies and I also love songs. So you got, you have to pick one. Either we do a movie or we do karaoke. Lagos. Um, Hotakos and Abuja. Um, I'll let you know what my schedule is, is like for any of the cities. But yeah, I had to reach out to Mark again, um, you know, to come back to IP series and discuss this case because he's based in the United States. And I, and I was like, I think I need to reach out to Mark again. And he graciously agreed to my um, request and he's here again today. So Let's welcome Mac and get, and let's get it on. Yeah, that's what I was going to say, but let's get it on, guys. Hi, Mac. Good. Well, it's good evening for you, right, Rita? Yes, it's evening here. Good evening. How, how are you? I'm good. How have you been? I've been okay. I've been okay. I really appreciate uh you're contacting me for this. It's been a while since we talked. Yes, it has. <laughs> I don't know if I, I should say you should introduce yourself again, given sure. that this is your second time here. Uh, but I guess a lot has happened term. since the last time. Yes, a lot has happened since we last spoke. So maybe if you have any, you can just take it from there and then we start our conversation Um, you know, regarding our case study. Hi, everybody. My name is Mark Jaffe. I'm at Five Bridges Law. I'm a solo attorney practicing law in New York and California. This is my second time on Rita's series, which is fantastic. And I'm really glad to be here. Thank you so much, Mark. It's really nice to have you back. Um, But also, let's just get right into our conversation, which is the hot topic right now in the industry, not just in in the U.S., but also within Nigeria, because, I mean, questions are coming up as to whether elements of the musical work should actually be considered, when it's being used, to considered to be an infringement of some sort. And, and I, 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 I think in the course of my research, I found out that this was the second time that Ed Sheeran um, is being sued 
for copyright infringement. Hence, his comment as to him not wanting to be um, a piggy bank for anyone else there. Yes. In fact, <laughs> this is the second time he's been sued specifically over this song, hmm. claiming that uh, it infringes the song we best know by Marvin Gaye, Let's Get It On. There's another mm-hmm. pending lawsuit over the same songs. Uh, and this this confused a lot of people because Marvin Gaye did co-write Let's Get It On, but his heirs are not plaintiffs. They, are not, they have not, Marvin Gaye's heirs have not sued Ed Sheeran, even though they're famous for suing um, Robin Thicke. The plaintiffs in this trial that was just, where there was just a verdict are the heirs of Ed Townsend who co-wrote the song. Separately, there is another pending litigation that might go to trial brought by a publishing company that owns parts of the rights to Let's Get It On, part of Townsend's share. Interesting. So we're going to see more of Ed Sheeran in the news. With it. I mean, this year is going to be like everything. Um Ed Sheeran and you know any other composition that may be up for for grabs for the heads, but right. I think our conversation basically would be what are those uh, notations or chord progressions that are subject to copyright infringement? Because we know for copyright, um, so for instance, now in Nigeria we have a new copyright law which was passed um, in March. And what the law has done now is to expressly define what a sound recording is and what musical work is and who can be an author and all of those things, general exceptions. Um, but we, what I've seen is that in the US, that is a bit different. Um, things yes. are a lot, maybe a bit more defined, I, I would say. Uh, when it comes to musical work, and you know, so what is the limit when it comes to? Um, how a creative person can actually be sued for an unauthorized work when it doesn't fall under, say, fair dealing, or um, it's a for, for Nigeria now we have general exception for or special exceptions for visually impaired um, or print right. disabled persons. Um, so my question is, where do you um, where is the boundary for a creative person to not be sued for? unauthorized use of a copyrighted work in this instance a musical work or sound record i think i think right now we're in a more difficult time to determine that now mm. the first first and the distinction between the composition copyright or the musical copyright and the sound recording copyright so the mm. musical work or the composition is the songwriting and it protects the and the author song uh, the sound recording is the is the recorded performance of the song. So mm. the 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 authors of a sound recording would be the performers on the song, the people who actually sang and played the music, and and often the producers. So there so in any song that you hear, you're there are two separate copyrights in the composition and the sound recording. In the Ed Sheeran trial, the sound recording is not an issue. The sound recording under United States copyright law can only be infringed if you use the actual recording. So if you independently fix the songs, if you perform someone else's song and sound exactly like it, but you performed it on your own, you can't be infringing the sound recording. 
and uh, so in this case, and so in this case, they were only suing on the composition, and they probably had no copyright. They probably didn't own any copyrights in the recording anyway. So that's the similarity between this trial over Thinking Out Loud, uh, the Katy Perry one, the um, the Blurred Lines, uh, the 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 one versus Taylor Swift over Shake It Off, the one versus Childish Gambino over This Is America. They're all over the composition and not over the recording because there's they didn't use the actual recording. There's no sample. And in order to bring a copyright infringement claim in the United States, and we're kind of um, an oddball country on this, you have to register the copyright with yeah, the copyright so, we, we, so if you don't mind me saying, so yes. basically before in Nigeria, we had this issue where um, it still isn't mandatory, but now you, you, we have it as a law on that right. copyright act that you may, so the word used there is you may register your copyrighted work with the Nigerian Copyright Commission, you know, giving, and giving reasons that in the event of a dispute, you can just go to the commission and get um, a certified true copy um, for documentary evidence and all of that. Is that the right. same way it applies in the United States? Well, First, the the law was very different at the time when Marvin Gaye and Ed Townsend wrote "Let's Get It On," because yeah. there used to be the United States used to have formalities, certain requirements in order to get copyright protection, and that put mm-hmm. us out of very different from most of the world, for which we signed a we signed a treaty, the Berne Convention, which doesn't have all these extra requirements. So we changed the law, but at the time. At the, t- at the time that Marvin Gaye and Ed Tedson wrote, let's get it on, they had to register with the United States Copyright Office and they had to submit a deposit of the composition. At the time, the deposit copy was your written notation. Mm. Similar thing happened with, um, uh, with Got to Give It Up. Right today, you instead you don't necessarily have to do that. If you have recorded your song, you could submit the recording of the song, and that would, and that could be your deposit copy of the underlying composition. Back then, you couldn't, so they're stuck with enforcing the copyright and what was in the written notation. Today, also, you're not required to register the copyright to get protection but you do have to register the copyright before you sue with this, with this important exception. And and you need to know this in case, and everybody there needs to know this in case they ever need to bring an action in the United States. If it's not a United States work, if you Mm. created the work outside the U S and you're suing in the United States, you don't have to register the copyright because, um, it's the way we have to stay within the treaty that we sign with all these other countries. However, you would be losing out if you didn't register the copyright before the infringement, you might be missing out on certain advantages like statutory damages. What would be the advantage in in Nigeria of registering a copyright? So, um, 
under the new copyright act now what it provides is that um first you need to meet, meet the basic requirement of being in a fixed format original in any quality at all then the provision also goes for that to you know protect um copyright by virtue of nationality or you being a resident in Nigeria or mm -hmm. um, Nigeria actually being um, signatory to an international um, agreement such as the Ben Convention. So in that instance, if you are a citizen or you have been um, resident in Nigeria, it doesn't um, stipulate the, the term or how long you must have been in Nigeria, but then you get to enjoy copyright whether you are a citizen or you are uh, an enterprise or the work was first published um, in a country that Nigeria is signatory to um, a copyrighted international agreement. Um, mm -hmm. And then in an instance where um, a, co a country who is party to that treaty, um, which Nigeria is party to, you can get some sort of certification from the Nigerian Copyright Commission um, as some sort of um, proof that that work already enjoys copyright. So it doesn't expressly say, oh, whether, I mean, the, the focus is more on Nigeria because of how IP is territorial in nature. But right. you, we, as a Nigerian, you get, let's say, right of um, first offer when your work is being protected. But I feel again right. that if you are not Nigerian, but you've lived here for a number of years, then you can also, I mean, that applies to you when, when you talk about habitually um, being a rest, you've been resident in Nigeria for a period of time. I got it. Okay, yeah. so, to get, so to get back to your question, you asked how much of another song can you use? I think that was what you were getting at. Yeah, yeah. So and, how, how, where's the limit as to how much a creative or an artist can be sued for unauthorized use of a copyrighted work, basically? Right. Well, important to this trial that just happened was is that Ed Sheeran claimed he was not copying Let's Get It On, that it wasn't yeah. crossing his mind when he was writing the song. And you may, and I know a lot of people think that's kind of dubious it, it, for somebody who tries to rise up and pop and soul music as a, as a white British guy, they, they, to, to not really draw upon the great seems kind of suspicious, but that's, that's what he made. That's what he insisted that he was not trying to copy the Marvin Gaye song. And that's what the jury ultimately found. Um, so, and if you have independently created your song without having actively or even, or subconsciously trying to copy another, then the law says it's not copyright infringement. It can be, if the jury believes it's a complete coincidence that the songs sound familiar, then they're entitled to believe, they're entitled to believe that Sharon independently created the song which is what the jury ultimately held and that prevented by doing that, they were able to avoid many of the questions about the similarities. Yeah. That's one defense. That is, that is one defense that's available. That is one defense that's available, which is that you've independently created the song without thinking about the other ones. That wasn't what, as I recall, that wasn't what Robin Thicke and Pharrell Williams said when they were sued. I think they admitted to to the use of some some you know 
elemental. Right. I think in that case, I think they had already publicly said that they were inspired by the Marvin Gaye song. Yeah. And I don't think it would have been believable if they said they weren't. I really don't think they, they, if they testified that they weren't inspired by the Marvin Gaye song, it would have been credible. I never had a doubt that they were trying to invoke, got to give it up when they recorded Bloodlines. But that doesn't answer, that still doesn't answer the question you were getting at, which is how similar would it be to be infringing? Hmm. And the state of the law on confusing it's messy it was confusing to the jury in these trials who were trying their best and i think can be and will ultimately be daunting for artists when they record new songs so i i i think i did come across a publication where i think the judge had to caution the jury that um they shouldn't get carried away with the song and just, you know, focus on the issue at hand. So, yes. so much focus on musical notation. Uh, I think uh, it was someone from the insurance um, defense team as well talked about the four chord sequence in question that was used in several songs before Gay's hit came out in 1973. Now, how does that work in the present age where you're seeing uh, one chord sequence or three bar sequence or whatever it is. How does that presently work uh, in terms of creation um, mm-hmm. and you know how creatives basically think? Right. The way I understand, and I thought the jury instructions were confusing myself, and I do this, was that uh, Townsend was claiming that the similar chord protection was over a sequence that it was a sequence that was in of itself copyrightable and could be copyright infringement if it were copied. But if that sequence in of itself was not protected by copyright, then the combination of several elements together collectively were protected by copyright. And then the jury would have been asked, first, do you think this particular sequence is protected by copyright? And then if not, does this sequence in combination with other elements written into the song collectively, would that be protected by copyright? And if you and if the answer is yes to those or any of those, then then asked if there was actually if there if Sharon copied those elements and if yeah. those elements were substantially similar under copyright law all these different tasks to do regarding these songs and they're not copyright lawyers they don't get to study copyright law they don't get a lot of time they get everything that's presented to them quickly and given a series of instructions that are that are quite complicated by holding that by not holding by deciding that sheeran independently created the song they bypassed most of those complicated questions. It was essentially over by deciding that Sheeran independently created the song. Fantastic. Um, but to your mind, do you agree with the jury's conclusion? Because we do not have a jury um, in Nigeria. You, you know, you go to file your proceedings at the Federal High Court, where has the jurisdiction to hear 
um, intellectual property related disputes, you know, before a judge who has the final say, it's kind of different when you explore wow. like out of court settlement. Yeah. Right. Um, so, do you agree with the decision of the um, jury? Right. That's fascinating that you, that you go through a judge. Is it a judge with somebody with particularized knowledge or would it be like U.S. judges, which typically don't have any particularized knowledge in copyright law? There's no copyright. I don't get starters. I got a lot to say, but I generally try to avoid saying I agree or disagree with a jury, right? Because the jury does the best with what they're given them. Um, let me stop by saying about the jury right here in the United States in any federal court and all copyright cases are, are in federal court with a minor exception. So long as you're suing for monetary damages, you get a right to a jury. It's in the United States constitution. So it's inevitable that many of these would go to a jury. And as long as a trial, I think the better the the threshold question is whether or not a judge should have decided this and a judge can do that on a motion for summary judgment and say there's just no material facts in order to go to a jury uh, i i in my view that's what i would have preferred to have happened in this case and, and with the blurred lines but once once it gets to a jury they are they are force-fed a lot of information and a very they a jury is given a ton of facts within a few days. They're given uh, forty to fifty pages worth of instructions. A lot of it is very specific on copyright law. They don't have any background in copyright. Uh, if they were copyright lawyers like myself, they probably would not be selected for a jury. They don't get to do any of their own independent research the way any lawyer would. Uh, the the most they can do is if they have a question, they can they can ask the court, and maybe the court will answer the questions for them. So, given what they were given, what they were given, what was given to them, I have to say I I can understand a jury deciding that Sharon independently created the song. I find it's a little not so credible because I hear too many elements of the song and I to think that they weren't thinking of it. I just can't believe a bunch of people trying to create like a blue eyed soul hit and wearing their influences on their sleeves, so to speak, and getting in there and nobody's noticing that they're creating something that kind of reminds you of, of let's get it on. I just, I just don't find that credible, but I've, find it believable enough that a jury could think that based on the testimony. Sharon was apparently likable on the stand or somewhat likable and believable in a way that uh, Robin Thicke reportedly was not. Uh, it, it would have been much harder for the jury to do what many copyright lawyers in the United States want, which is acknowledge that Sharon and his team were trying to invoke the Marvin Gaye song, but still determine that the songs aren't substantially similar enough so that he's infringing.
interesting. Um, so um, let's discuss um, elements of a musical work and okay. how contributions are being made. You know, a musical work uh, consists of um, so under for, so for instance. Under uh, copyright law, it says musical works are musical compositions, irrespective of the musical quality. Right. And I, I think that's I think that's also similar in the U.S. Correct me if I'm wrong. But then, if you look at it from the creative aspect, where you have contributors, um, so for like in this case now is the is the heads of one of the songwriters that's actually suing Chiran. Uh, uh, and you're asking yourself, what elements of the musical work um, can actually be infringed upon? Um, would it be so? I'm going to quote um, something I read online. So it says the, the melodic, harmonic, and rhythmic, rhythmic composition of thinking out, thinking for being substantially and strikingly similar to the drum composition of Let's Get It On. So it just kind of brings the conversation back to um, how does, or how is a musical work created from the creative aspect? Right. Uh, yeah, I'm not sure. Well, I mean, I can, I can tell you what they were asked. Yeah. Right, and first they were asked if there is there was a um a chord progression and they're asked if that chord progression is protected by copyright and then they're asking and and i think the answer was no right uh, and then they're asking that there are three different melodies and asking if these three different melodies are protected and if they're not individually protected are the combination of these three melodies together and then they're asked if the chord progression and harmonic rhythm, and I'm, I'm quoting from the um, jury verdict sheet, harmonic rhythm numerous enough to be protected as a selection and arrangement. And then they're asking if it's original. And I find this confusing. I do this and I find this confusing, right? They are asking, first of all, original and creative are two different things. Original is asking whether or not Ed Townsend and Marvin Gaye were the first to, were the first to do it, if it came from them. Creative means are there enough elements that distinguish it? Uh, and I don't even know if they were given really proper instructions on each of these. And if they were, and even if they are given proper instructions on each of these, they don't have a lot of time to think it through. The way so those of us who are serve, sorry, instructions serve as a guideline for the jury members, so they have yes. like an unbiased conclusion at the end of the day. That's right. A jury in the U.S. is they're they're picked out of a selection. 100 people get something in the mail saying you're chosen for jury duty, right? This is 100. This is in the Southern District of New York. I don't know if you've been to New York, but that's the federal court. It's going to include people living in the Manhattan, the Bronx, and like a little bit north of, of New York City. Like 100 people get 
selected. They all come into the courtroom. They're asked questions by the lawyers and by the judge. And through that process, ultimately, a number of jurors are decided. They can be they can be waived if there's any conflict of interest or the or the lawyers can decide on their own. These are reasons we don't want them on the jury. And you're often looking for people who haven't been following this beforehand, who already who hadn't already made up their mind about this song. And some and you're you're typically not going to get people who are really knowledgeable about copyright law. If I were ever if I ever got something in the mail and I had to go there to the courtroom and it was a copyright trial and I told them who I am, I'm not going to get selected. I'm allowed to be. There's no rule against it. But one of them or the other is not going to select me. One of them is going to take the 15, you know, they're going to have like an associate um, looking me up and finding the things I tweeted and find the things I wrote about this case. And they're going to find this, the series I did with you. And one of them's not going, one of them's not going to want it. Probably the, in this case, it would be the plaintiff's lawyers, but uh, I tend to be very supportive of songwriters in general. Uh, so you're not going to, you are going to get smart people. You are going, I know this because I've sat on a New York, believe very much in a New York jury. Very smart people. You are going to get people who will diligently try to follow the instructions they're given. But the task that they're given is mind bending. It's like a crash course in the kind of um, the kind of issues that you and I have been studying for years. That if anybody's listened to this thinking, I'm not really, I don't really understand what he's talking about. I, he didn't, you know, maybe I didn't do a great job, this, but that's my point, right? That's what the jury's got to work with. And they have two lawyers fighting. They, they get a closing argument. Each lawyer gives their own version of events and the law. And each lawyer is going to have an expert witness explaining why these songs are so similar are completely different. No, I might have lo- I might have lost the question you were asking. <laughs> so we were discussing elements of the musical work, and I, I quoted um, a comment about the melodic, harmonic, uh, rhythmic uh, compositions of thinking out like that were said to be substantially or strikingly similar to less to the drama composition, drum composition. Right. Let's get it on. So elements of a musical world, um, contributions into the making of a song, basically. Mm-hmm. I think, How, yeah. In almost any one of the well-known infringement trials, blurred lines, shake it off, dark horse, this one, thinking out loud. I don't think any of them really had. a very specific melody that matched the song that they were getting sued over. And all the ones that I meant to, they either went to trial or they were cleared for trial and then settled right before it. 
I, in my view, there really needs to be more of the melody. It can't just be one song reminds you of the other song. It can't just, even if it does remind me of the other song. Um, famously, it was years ago, George Harrison was sued because his, um, his song, My Sweet Lord, was very reminiscent of uh, He's So Fine, which was recorded by the Chiffons years ago. And in that case, the judge basically acted as a jury. So it's called the bench trial. And they and that judge found that even if George Harrison wasn't copying the melody or trying to copy the melody, he was subconsciously copying the melody because he knows the song. Right? It's silly for George Harrison, who was a Beatle, to say, I don't know classic girl group songs. They got their start by covering those songs. Uh, that's the closest I could think of to really a melody being similar. With thinking out loud, I think it's more the song reminds you of the other song. I hear it just like I heard. Um, but we in the U.S., since we're seeing a lot of these trials, I do think we need to we need a better solution than what we're doing right now on how to determine exactly your question. How much should you copy? In order for in order for it to really be infringing, I don't think I don't think it's any of these songs. Was were these songs hits worldwide? Yeah. Okay. I mean, I don't know. Is like it's like it's like um, a wedding song. It, I mean, there was a period when it was trending in Nigeria. So you know that couples dance is going to be like um, thinking out loud, or oh, what's the other one? I can't remember, but. Ed Sheeran's songs were like wedding themed songs, basically. Okay. Uh, yeah, you, yeah. I feel silly every time I'm asking these questions because every time I ask you if these songs are popular in Nigeria or whatever, you're like, of course. I don't. I don't know. Sometimes, sometimes they're very. Actually, I guess Ed Sheeran isn't U.S. specific. So, somebody did a thread. I saw it on Twitter where they found songs that were recorded, written and recorded by Ed Townsend long ago. There's a song, I forgot what it's called now, but you, you got to find it. There's a song by Ed Townsend that was a minor hit many decades ago. And in it, as you hear it, it sounds like At Last, the Etta James classic. You, wow. you absolutely hear it. And nobody sues him because nobody, for the most part, people aren't suing over that. Oh and I can understand... I could understand why Sharon was so offended, but yeah. I don't believe he doesn't write and record the song himself. There's a bunch of people. Nobody says this reminds you got to believe that either nobody said this sounds like let's get it on, yeah. which to me is preposterous. Or they say, you know, let's evoke a little bit of Marvin Gaye. Let's let's go for it. Next the way Robin Thicke and Pharrell Williams does. did. And yeah. I think you should. You're supposed to be influenced by Marvin Gaye. It sounds stupid to have a soul hit. And I go, and go Marvin Gaye? I don't really know Marvin Gaye. You know, what? it sounds stupid to me. And some of this is musical but opinion. Seriously, it's a classic. I mean. Right. 
and most most people don't sue most people aren't interested in suing when they hear their songs sound like other songs other artists and songwriters um i don't know how they pick and choose right tom petty went after sam smith and got a piece of stay with me because it sounds like i went back down and i heard that too i heard i went back down in that but the strokes had a song called um last night which sounds so much like american girl and petty let it go he embraced it he said that sounds good um there's a there's a hit on olivia rodrigo's album that was very reminiscent of an elvis costello song and somebody pointed it out to elvis costello costello went yeah that's fine you're supposed to take elements of songs i think i think i saw that as well i actually watched the youtube video that was you know analyzing the um Oliver's, you know version of the song and i can't remember the other one now but it was really insightful seeing how much um people pay attention to notations, compositions, and the melody of a song in general. Right. I think a lot of, because of the internet, people are always going to point out those similarities. And I don't, I'm not at the point where some people think that creativity is going to be stifled because people are scared to record new songs. I'm not at the point where I think that's happening yet, but it could happen. And the answer, this is a musical thing. I think artists can be more creative about evoking artists, other artists without directly lifting melodies. The way like Bruno Mars, again, worldwide famous, right? You all know Bruno Mars? His whole career is based on evoking other artists. He's really good at it. You hear it in his song, almost every one of his hits, it reminds you of something else. And he's good at that. I think it was for one of his songs. Um, What was it again? Don't believe it just... Yeah, that one in particular. Right, yeah. Well, they did get sued. They did get sued for that one. <laughs> um, they got, uh, yeah. Um, yeah, they did get they did get sued over that one, and they did have to give up a piece of their their authorship of the publishing. Yeah. For for Uptown Funk, so you get a point. Yeah, he's pushing it. He's pushing it, right? Because mm-hmm. there's another one that sounds a lot like Poison, but I don't think anybody sued over that. But he also did a song that sounds like the police mm-hmm. just uh just like heaven not just like heaven um locked out of heaven yeah, and you can tell he's true. i'm sorry yeah 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 yeah. i do agree with you i do agree with you right but you can tell he's trying to sound like the police mm-hmm. but you know sting who you know who wrote most of the songs by the police he embraced it there's no one police song where you go it sounds exactly like this one police song it just sounds like what the police would have done if they stayed together and recorded more music. Mm. You, you, you can do it without pushing it, but we're in a scenario where the original songwriters are gone. The heirs are taking over or publishing companies that are far removed from the songwriters are taking over. And some of them are going to try to going to try to cash in. 
So basically, um, if we are talking about musical disputes, uh, right. we consider the publishing aspects, um, the licensing aspects, um, composition aspects, and when you put all of that together in relation to the exclusive rights that um, an artist or a creative within the music industry um, owns, who can actually be a party to a dispute within the music industry. Olivia right. centered on Ed Sheeran as an artist or performing artist or the record label he signed with or the publishing company he has assigned his right to um, can a collective or a uh, performing rights as a PR owner in the US and CMO in Nigeria um, be a right. party to that? That suits your question. That's a really good question. The, the law in the US is that you have to own an enforceable right in the copyright to bring to bring a copyright infringement lawsuit. So um, Ed Townsend co-wrote the song. He owns, you know, he owns his probably owns half of it. I don't know if it's it could be less than half. It doesn't really matter. He owns a part of it. He passed away without a will. And his children in a in a completely separate lawsuit in state court in California, his children were held to have inherited those rights. In the um, in the lawsuit versus Ed Sheeran, Sheeran's defendants lawyers argued that one of them didn't have any rights because apparently one of Townsend's kids was adopted and raised by another family. It kind, of, kind of sounds distasteful that they made that argument, but they lost and they lost because this was a federal court that said that's already been determined by a state court in California. We're not going to second guess. So that's how those airs those rights. Now, the other lawsuit, Structured Asset Sales, is a holding company, a publishing company that claims that Townsend assigned part of those rights to that company. So it's enforcing its own part of those rights. So you actually have to have an ownership right. You have to actually have a right to a, a right in the distribution right or the publication right or some, or one of the other rights graded in the Copyright Act. The uh, you can't just have a right to sue. You can't just, for instance, and this happens where people try to just buy the right to sue without actually owning any of the copyrights. You can't sell the right to sue. Therefore, I'm not entirely certain why performing rights organizations like ASCAP and BMI yeah. have the right to sue as they as they sometimes do. It's when when a bar or nightclub in the US is not paying the licenses to perform music right. publicly, sometimes ASCAP yeah. or BMI will initiate those lawsuits. And I gotta admit I'm not I'm not certain how it has the right yeah. to do it when the performing rights organizations don't actually own the copyrights. They have a right, they have a right to collect, but it must have been something that, I'm sorry? I said, I think it's basic. So under our law, um, you assign your rights, um, setting not all of your exclusive rights, setting rights to, uh, we call them the collective management organization here in Nigeria. They used to be called collecting society. 
but they're now called right. collective collective management organization. So you assign your right to them to license on your behalf, grant license, negotiate, and they can also sue on your behalf. They can also, um, whether or not you are a member of a particular um, CMO, right. as long as you haven't assigned um, your rights to anyone, they can, you know, perform certain duties for you um, at that point in time. I think right. an, an assignment will give them that right to mm-hmm. execute certain actions. Right. The PROs, the performing rights organizations, can only sue to enforce the rights that it would have. So yeah. a nightclub, a bar, any place that's playing music would have to pay for licenses, and those licenses would go through ASCAP, BMI, or CSAC. Um, so they're the ones that are suing because they're the ones you would you would go through to get the license. The publishers can also sue in that scenario. But ASCAP or BMI couldn't sue Ed Sheeran okay. because they don't have any enforceable right against against Ed Sheeran to write the song, to record the song, to, to create CDs and, and put the songs onto streaming services. That's not a right the publish the publishing right organization would have. It would either be the songwriter or the publisher. And since copyright lasts a long time, those copyrights will last beyond the life of the songwriters. They'll get passed on to heirs and to other people who may not have the same ideas about preserving the legacy that their parents or grandparents did. They might bring lawsuit. Um, Marvin Gaye, maybe, and sadly, you know, his life was cut tragically short. Um, he may not. He might not have wanted to sue over blurred lines. He may not have wanted to sue Pharrell Williams. But uh, his, you know, his children found a way. currently making decisions right now. I mean, it's kind of similar in Nigeria where the copyright law now gives. Um, so what the law now states is a musical work lasts for the duration of the lifetime of the, the author plus 70 right. years um, yes. after. How many years is it? How many years it is? Is it 70 in the US as well for musical work? That's right. It's life plus 70. So which, I guess which we means, all kind of have simil- similar similar laws. Yes. It's just uh, implementation might just be the issue for us, basically. Right. The last time we had it, we talked about fair use, and fair yeah. fair use is fair use being written into copyright law. I know is a little different than many other countries. And so we also have. We also have sorry to cut you short. We also have um, so as it's called fair dealing, and it wasn't included um, before in the act per se. It was right. more or less like um, a schedule atta- attached to the law, but now it's been included in the new copyright act. So you have a list or a bunch of activities that would fall under fair dealing. 
But what was now, what that makes it more interesting for us is that we have what is called the, it's kind of like the US as well, four factor principle or four factor test to determine whether the use of the work is actually, actually falls on that fair domain or it doesn't fall on that fair, which is good mm-hmm. for us, anyways. <laughs> Which is good for us anyway. So just like you pointed out, the last time you were here, we were talking about um, the Tracy Chapman case where consent wasn't gotten. And, you know, right. Nicki, Nicki Minaj was claiming fair fair use. Um, so, and I know you also alluded to, um, you know, having to register a work so you can actually sue under the US copyright. So what are the criteria right. if someone wants to sue you for copyright infringement and any other related copyright disputes within right. the US. So if a non if if a Nigerian author yeah. were to sue in the United States, they wouldn't have to register the copyright before suing. However, mm-hmm. there are certain damages that are available. Okay. If you have registered the copyright before the infringement and that in the United States. And that applies to everyone, including non-United States authors. Uh, The copyright office will evaluate whether or not that work is protected by copyright. It'll typically, it can, if you do it, if you don't pay extra, it's slow. It could take six to 12 months, but, um, you can get an expedited one. It just costs $800 extra. And a common thing in copyright litigation that I don't like is that defendants will attack the registration because if they find flaws or errors in the registration, they can invalidate the registration and then your claim is going to get dismissed. Now, invalidating the registration doesn't mean that you don't have a copyright. Right. It would mean that you, yeah. you it doesn't mean validating, but it means it means your claim is going to get dismissed. You got to register the copyright again and then bring another lawsuit. And this is this is such a common um, line of attack for defendants. It's one of the reasons I don't like bringing these lawsuits in the first place. Um, it happens every time I super copyright infringement. It happened in most or not all of the lawsuits we're talking about today. And. It should be a relative. It should be a simple process to register the copyright. Um, yeah. But first of all, fifty years ago, when Marvin Gaye did it, it was more complicated because you had to submit the written notes, and he didn't. You know, he that's not how he created music. And also, there are certain questions and designations on the U.S. registration that tend to um, confuse people which defendants will use to their advantage when they litigate. I'm pretty sure, you, I don't know if you, if you heard about the Drake featuring the weekend AI generated work. That right. Was all over social media a few weeks ago. Right. Um, <laughs> do you hear my... Do you... This kind of case is now in the creative industry going forward. I think I saw a tweet uh, where one of the big record label companies said we're coming all out for any um, AI company that wants to use copyrighted musical works 
um, to create or generate um, new music uh, and all of that. I think I right. a, a comment by Taylor Swift as well. So how is all of this going to shape the creative industry in the United right. States going forward? Okay, well, there are lots of issues involved with that. They're the issues of whether or not, you start with whether or not an, an artificial intelligence created work is eligible for its own copyright protection, uh, to which the this is not resolved, but the Copyright Office says no, that if something is created by a machine, a machine cannot be an author and there's no copyright. But then there's the question you ask, and that, that's, that's not resolved. The question you ask is whether or not something like a fake Drake weekend song that is made to sound like Drake and weekend would infringe. Okay, so you got several, that opens up several questions. You ready? One is the composition, which can only be infringed, we can only be infringed if this is a song that sounds like another, that is reminiscent of another composition, right? It wouldn't be dependent on whether or not the voices are the same. It would be dependent on whether or not those compositional elements, the melody is the same, for instance. Right in the sound recording. And this is where I think it gets a little tricky because you can only infringe a sound recording if you're using, if you're duplicating another recording. And if you independently fix the sounds, you're not infringing a sound recording copyright. This is only true for sound recording copyrights. And I'm not clear on the way. This has an argument that hasn't been fleshed out because I'm not clear when the artificial intelligence makes its own song, is it independently fixing sounds to sound like another recording or does it actually need the other recording to duplicate to do it? And I don't think that's factually clear. So we don't know the answer to that yet. And if it's independently create, and if it's independently fixing the sounds, there's the next question. If it needs to reference pre-copyrighted works in order to create its own, for which it needs to basically scrape the internet, download works just for the purpose of learning, could that be fair use? Could that be a fair use of another copyrighted work? Similar to how, for instance, Google claimed it was fair use for them to download books just so other people can research them without displaying the books that it had to download. All of these issues have not been fought, right? We're going to see them yeah. arise in the next couple of years. Additionally, there's a right of publicity question. If, for instance, the song is being uh, sold as a Drake song and it's not a Drake song, does Drake, uh, is there an enforceable uh, publicity in the use of Drake's name, in the use of a likeness of Drake's voice. That's a right that, tip, that typically is not really owned by the record company. It's owned by Drake. All of these, I, I expect we're going to see litigated within the next few years. Would this fall under derivative work or transformative work? Basically? I mean, right. 
transformative fair use? Is that what, did I lose you? No, you didn't. Yeah, that's what I meant. I think there's an argument that if other copyrighted works are used to train the AI so that the AI can learn and create its own work, then this is really nuanced then using those other works for training purposes is fair use. But that still doesn't mean that the final AI created version is, is fair use or that it's not infringing. It's just the use of it to train. Mm. Similar to if you're a human and you are in the studio and you're recording a song and you listen to other music to inspire you, that in of itself, you're doing that isn't the infringement. You should be allowed you should be allowed to do that. It's whether or not your final output is similar enough. Do you see the, the nuance I'm getting at here? Yeah. Yes, I am. And I think so I so, think that's a good argument that using other works for training purposes is fair use. I'm not gonna say hundred percent it is, but I think that's a very good argument. Um, but uh, you know, we are going to see more sound alikes with AI. Mm. And that's going to create new issues. I'm not convinced. Um, we also we also don't even know, I think, what demand there will be for those kinds of songs. Yeah. I don't know if people want to hear them that badly. Mm. Like, Drake and Weekend are alive. They're recording songs uh i heard the biggie one did you hear the biggie one no i didn't i, I don't think it went viral the way the drake and the weekend okay. um, did. there's an ai version of what they say is biggie rapping the nas song new york state of mind wow. so it's biggie's voice and the entire lyrics you know, melody and rhythm of New York state of mind. And, um, that's, um, Timbaland because he had created an AI generated song and comments were like, Oh, you can do a lot better than this. Um, and right. you know, com comments as to originality going forward. What, how would the creative industry be going um, forward basically? But yeah, I think those are kind of the conversations that we'll be having. Yep. But I'm not sure if enough people want it. I think they might, but like, you know, you know, Biggie was alive for like four years after Elmatic. He never covered a song on Elmatic. Right? It's not even common for um any big name rapper to cover another rap song in its entirety and release it. It almost never happens. So I think if there was a demand for such a thing, somebody would actually do it. Mm. And the so the the fake Biggie cover, first of all, it's implicating the copyright in the original song. Mm -hmm. For which if they're going to release it, it's going to be infringing if they didn't get a license. Uh, the use of Biggie's voice and making something that sounds like the mm -hmm. notorious B.I.G., 
is a little more spotty on what kind of publicity issues would arise from that. Mm -hmm. okay. And at least then, you know, it's at least then whoever released it is letting you know it's AI. We're going to see way more things that are false. Way more impersonations. So AI is going to get more sophisticated and we're just going to see a lot of fakes and that are designed to fool people. Right. If you think of, um, yeah. Can you hear me? Do you know about Rick Astley's lawsuit yeah, against Young Gravy? All right. Not sure I'm following that one, one. One lawsuit in the U.S. Okay, this is something to watch out for. It's not over AI, but it's going to... It. What happens in that is going to affect AI type stuff. So um, Young Gravy got a license for the composition for Rick Astley's Got to Give It Up. I'm going to ask you again, Got to Give It Up, famous all over the world? Right? I'm not sure. Yes? <laughs> I don't think so. Oh, okay. It was a big hit. It was Not only was it a big hit in the 80s, but Rick, now it's a song. Now it's a hit song. It, now it's a hit song as like a joke. Rick, because Rick rolling is a thing where you click on a link and it, and it automatically takes you to that one song. All right. So it was a huge hit in the eighties that, that endures today. Young Gravy decided to get a license for a composition of the song, but instead of getting a license for the recording, instead of going to the record company, he got somebody to sing it. So it sounds like a sample of the wow. original song, but it's not. It's somebody else singing, sounding like Rick Astley. I forget the name of the Young Gravy song, but Rick Astley. So Rick Astley sued, but he didn't sue for copyright infringement. Um, he doesn't even own the copyright in the recording. He sued on a publicity theory. He sued arguing that um, his voice belongs to him. It's his likeness. And this will mislead, and the use of that, the Young Gravy song with the sound alike will mislead people into thinking that he sang on it. And this is, this is kind of, it's relatively novel legal argument. In the US, there have been with uh, Bette Midler and Tom Waits in the past, but they were suing over uses of sound alike voices in TV commercials for other products. The Young Gravy song is not a commercial for another product. It's just the song. And so Rick Astley is suing over, over something that copyright law permits. And he's using a publicity theory. And we don't know how that's going to go. But if you... If we follow that one, it might give us an indication of what's going to happen with some of these uh, with these AI recordings where they mimic the voices of other artists. I, I think going forward, we're going to be seeing a lot of uh, new new terms being included in contracts as well, um, especially now mm -hmm. that you know AI is threatening. 
right right publicity name voice you know all of those things yes so Ed Sheeran actually wrote that song with Amy Wage. I don't know if I pronounced mm-hmm. the name well, but she never got sued. Why was the focus more on the performing performing artist and not the co-writer or compositor um, of the song? I tried to look for this and I could. Yeah. Should focus be on just the performing artist, the publishing company, composer, or the record record label in question? I couldn't figure it out. I tried to look. I couldn't figure out why she was not named as a defendant. She wasn't sued. Sharon was sued. As you said, the um, the record company was sued. Anybody involved in the production of the recording, right? It was Atlantic Records, Sony. That's the publishing company. Uh, the Warner Music Group Corporation, DBA, Asylum Records. So it's a number of them. And not Amy Wadge, who co-wrote the song. And typically, I would expect to see all the co-writers of the song. I don't get it. I mean, like, I, I, they didn't have to. And nobody, none of the defendants demanded to be brought in. I can only get an idea based on just news articles I read that she she owned 5%. And I'm not, cle- I'm not clear based on what I know of the facts of Amy Wadge together wrote this with Ed Sheeran or Ed Sheeran um, wrote a song, thought it reminded him of another song by Amy Wadge. So he gave her credit. Okay. That's one article I read that that's what happened. And I don't know if that's true, but I guess they didn't have to sue her. And she was mercifully um, out of this as far as, as being named as a defendant. I also don't know what, um, was in her contract with anyone else, so that if she, um, if she were held liable, would anybody have indemnified her, or if Sheeran was held liable, would he have been able to sue against Amy Wadge? I, I suppose he wouldn't have done that, but whether or not, I, I don't know whether or not he had the right to. It's a good question. I haven't figured it out. She probably didn't have the big. She probably didn't have the big pockets. She probably didn't have the money. You know, she probably didn't have the big pockets that all the other defendants did. Right. such as Townsend, briefing as a daughter of composer. Ed Townsend. So, for, right. for instance, now in Nigeria, uh, we have the Kuti family, family, and I know yep. they're very, I wouldn't say they're aggressive, but they are very right. good at monitoring how elements of um, um, Fela, I don't know if you know Fela Kuti, but he was. Yes, of course. Oh, yes. Time. So, one time we had an issue where a political party decided I was, you know, liking to Felakuti and the family was like, no, I don't do any of that. And I've also seen that they um, made money from licensing, um, sing deals to big, big international artists um, abroad. So right. for a family like that that want to monetize or 
take advantage of the, the, the musical work um, that their grandfather or fathers had left right. has left for them. Um, does their end when dealing with copyright or um, intellectual property mechanism? Is it anyone that just samples a beat or is inspired or uses an element you just um, policing and want to get right. the money that you should, should you know, accrue at that point in time? We also had likes of that as well who died without a will, but that was somehow sorted. But it was a huge um, battle. Uh, I know someone who was. Um, personally involved in that. So, what is the process for pairs in terms of preserving the copyrights that their, let's say, ancestors? I don't know now. Oh, but, wow. Yeah. Um, <laughs> that was initially created by their father or mother or grandmother right. or auntie. Sure. What's great about the Cootie family is that there's general, you know, they, they, they're now going through like the third generation of musicians. And I love that. Right. You got, yeah, there's grandchildren, you know, it's children of made great music. Um, yes, they're known out here, by the way. I saw Femi Cootie uh, live in San Francisco like 20 years ago, and it was just one of the greatest shows I've seen. Uh, but he's got, he's got, th there are at least three generations of the Cootie family making great music now mm -hmm. the only family i could think of that's like that is is bob marley's and um so they're not some people like to complain that copyright lasts too long and children and grandchildren can just coast on making money of their parents stuff without doing anything but you know fellas family disproves that because they're all making they continue to make great music um but the pro I'm not a wills lawyer and the law of the States is very complicated. It is in the United States, but I'm willing to bet it is everywhere. Some really successful musicians die without a will. Ed Townsend did. Aretha Franklin apparently died without a will. Uh, disputes get really messy then over who gets to inherit what. And I have I've had a scenario where I had to license a copyrighted work and we had to determine whether or not the children own the copyright, which required me to read the will. And I'm not a wills lawyer. I just know a thing or two, right? I, you know, you have to learn a thing or two. And the wills are not necessarily written by people who know copyright law. So when they are unclear, as they often are, it's too late to go back and figure out what somebody meant. You can't change anything. You, you're stuck with what you have. And litigation litigation over these wills can be extraordinarily um, messy. If nobody can agree, if people can't get along. I had a scenario where it just really wasn't certain. I had to hire another wills lawyer in Canada to interpret the will because it was... Um, I don't think you see a lot of people in the intersection of knowing wills and trusts. That would be a great niche of somebody, somebody to practice, but you don't, you get copyright lawyers who don't really deal much with wills and trusts. 
and you get wills and trust lawyers who don't know as much about copyright. And by the time you're litigating these things, the person who wrote the will is gone. So um, there are, and then you, and you get messes like what happened in the Sheeran trial, which is defendants trying to argue that this woman did not really inherit rights because she was raised by another family. Whatever that was, whatever, however, whatever messy thing that led to her being determined to be an heir with rights was a in California and a court and a copyright infringement claim to second guess, but it probably was messy. And if the, the siblings didn't get along, I'm sure it was messy. Additionally, right. Additionally, the United States has a termination right in the copyright. This is where 35 years after you've assigned the right, the copyright, you can get it back. You can invoke the termination right. Yes, you can invoke the termination right and get it back. Even if you had a contract that said, I signed this to you forever. And this is one of the things I deal with. Um, I, I do a lot of that kind of work. And it's it's very United States unique, right? If you have a worldwide contract, you can only get you're only getting your United States rights back because other countries don't have the same law. We do not have but, it as well. What's that? I said we do have it as well, even in our new copyright act. There's no Oh you do? Is it, no, I hope it's saying. not mod I hope it's not modeled after the United States law. No, I think you what have. I'm saying is that we do we do not it wasn't included in the new act. Right. Right. It wasn't included. Well, I think some people have asked me if other countries should adopt a termination right like the US's. And the answer is other countries should consider a termination right, but they should look at everything that, that's gone wrong with the United States law so they don't make all the same mistakes. Because the United States law is an absolute mess. It's a complete, it's like a, it's a disaster. It's, it's, um, and it was so well-meaning. So if someone has, if the original author has passed away, yeah, then that termination right goes to the heirs. And this is not the heirs in the will. This is not the heirs designated by that author. It's the will, it's the heirs that are specific in the statute. So only the heirs that are named in the statute can get that termination right, regardless. And um, an author can assign a copyright, but they cannot assign a termination right. Wow. So I think that kind of played out in the Maverick case. I don't know if you saw that. I think that was last year. No, sorry. Top Gun. I think I'm confusing you. I'm not sure now. Yes, yes. Come this movie, yeah. Played out yes. so well, and you know, it just got me thinking. Um, when you have issues uh, on force, force majeure, where an act of God takes you know, takes over, does the termination right still apply? Does the 35 years still count? Uh, is there no is there a pause button for that? No, I don't think so. And the, the top gun was 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 just one of the many ways the termination rights gets complicated. 
right? The, the original movie Top Gun was based on a sh on an article, a short story, or or something. Yeah. And they licensed the the producers of Top Gun licensed that story to get um to get the um so they could use it to make Top Gun. The author or the author's heirs terminate the license. They get the full rights to their own story back. The producers of Top Gun are still permitted to um, make Top Gun, the original, because it's a derivative work and that's an exception under the termination rights law. But now that they have the rights, they claim that the Top Gun sequel was modeled off the story. So the producers of Top Gun Maverick did not challenge the termination. They said the termination's valid. Their argument was their argument is that this new movie doesn't even use your article. There's nothing in your original story that we're even using. That's how I understand the issues in that one. So um Thank you. there are exceptions. There are scenarios where the termination rights would not apply, like a work for hire, which I think is also yeah which might also be United States, a very specific thing. But everything about the termination right creates questions. And we're 10 years into this right being evoked and none of those questions are answered. We just get more questions and more litigation. And more work for the community the creative I, I I like it a lot in principle. And now I'm seeing what's happening over the last few years. I realize it's just too messy, which is, which is why if any country wanted to adopt their own, it's a great thing for artists. You know, it, it's a great thing for artists who were initially got into really bad deals and they're locked into them forever yeah. and they're making no money off their own work or their own work has disappeared because companies don't release them anymore and they want control of their own work. Um, but there's so many weird, complicated questions over how the right works, over what exceptions apply, over certain things they just didn't contemplate. That anybody creating the right now can look at the U.S., see how it was, you got all, all these good intentions got all screwed up and write something much better. I mean, that's that was really insightful, Mark. Um, thank you for sharing that. But we're almost wrapping up, like, an episode. Trends that you've seen in the corporate and creative space in the U.S. It's, I mean, it doesn't have to be related to, you know, musical work or the U.S. per se. Uh, I think I, I'll start. Right. <laughs> I'll start with the trends in Nigeria first. For me, is the... Sure. Um, the president signing the new copyright act which has been pending for more than 15 years so for this surprised. new act yeah so for this new act to be signed because the president's panel ends in a couple of days 29th of this month so it's kind of like a gift to the creative sector for us um some of the provisions like um um 
psychological protection measures where creatives, you know, make, go the extra mile to protect their work from being used illegally was also included. Um, that there's also like a minimum sanction when you're dealing with um, copyright infringement disputes. Um, what else? Expansion of the, the Copyright Commission's role. Then what I've seen or we've seen in the creative sector now is um, creators are becoming more aware as to their rights. So you're seeing a lot of um, social media call-outs, a lot of um, right. court litigation um, suits. Either you're threatening to sue or there's a cease letter. Um, more creators are looking to monetize their copyrighted work to also understand the business of the creative sector. Um, right. That's basically the longer short of it. That's like it, but you know, that awareness came more popular post COVID. I mean, pre COVID, the conversations were there, but I think COVID just, you know, put everyone in the area like, okay, we need to look for alternative uh, modes of making money. We haven't started experiencing the AI related kind of um, issues, but we had this very interesting case where. Um, someone had taken a picture of this is like our um, election year. We just finished our election. So a picture went viral from one of the political um, rally and someone went ahead to create, to mint an N NFT version of it. And, you know, questions are related right. to copyright, NFTs, IP ownership, all of that. So now you're seeing people, you know, wanting to learn more about intellectual property, uh, who's the author, what is a work for hire? Do I need to sign a contract? What should I look out for in a contract? You get most of those questions when you attend certain events, like what do I look out for in a contract? Like, I mean, reading a contract right. will not make you a lawyer, but just hire a lawyer. So that conversations are being heard. So um, I think anyone that caught my attention would be the the, the Zara of the, the the Zara of the Dawn case for the AI-generated image that was filed at the U.S. Copyright Office. And then there's a new one on trending where a, I think it's a photographer wanting to opt out of an AI um, program and he was being sued for copyright infringement. I think it's a Germany right. or a French, a French. I don't know if you've seen that case on, on the timeline. Um, Possibly. So that, that's it for me, trends that I've seen. Um, and, you know, wanting to hold the PROs and CMOs in, in Nigeria and also in Africa um, accountable to their roles so that they are more transparent in rendering their, their services and taking their roles more seriously. So, yeah, that's it for me. So let, let's hear from you. What are those trends you've seen sure. in the copyright agreement? Well, I, I think the use of AI will become more prominent. And I, and I assume that AI will get more sophisticated. I don't see it as a passing fad the way NFTs might turn out to be. Um, one of the important questions that will develop is to what extent somebody creating something with artificial intelligence can have their own enforceable copyright. Right? And that involves, right now, the Copyright Office has a position that if the machine created the work, there is no author, right? It's not yours. And you haven't created a copyright by putting prompts into the artificial, in, into the into the work. 
And that, that, that might change, right? We might learn more that, that shapes our opinion about it. However, if you add your own written material that's, that's original to you onto the work, you can own that. And this is what happened with the comic book that was created by AI. If you, if you take a bunch of different AI created works and put them together, that selection and arrangement might be protected by copyright. And I still, and I think over the years, we're going to learn more about how the process works. And there's going to be a greater contemplation over whether or not somebody creating something with AI can own the copyright with that. Because if that person doesn't, then maybe nobody does. Um, I, and I'd still, and even then, either way, I don't think AI created works are necessarily going to replace human created works anytime soon. We still want, it just, It'll take a piece of it for sure. Um, but it consume everything. We're still going to want real singers, real musicians, um, real photographers, and real artists. Uh, I don't think, even with Sheeran's loss, I don't think we've seen the end of people suing over sound-alike songs. I... Um, just the, it, it will be a bigger deterrent if defendants win and they get attorney's fees. So we're going to still see more of those lawsuits and we're going to have to find better ways to support songwriters. One of the bit uh, right now, it's really easy to get music heard and accessed by people. And it is easier than it ever has been, but it's harder to make money. And we're got we're going to find ways to advocate for songwriters and artists um, because we don't we want them supported. We want them to make money. And in ways besides suing other people. Right. <laughs> I see what you did there. And I and and okay. listeners, users, consumers. I think are starting to realize how important they are to that. You know, apparently, according to apparently half of all, I read that half of all people who buy vinyl records don't own a turntable. Wow. That doesn't mean half of all wow. records sold half of all records. I, I don't think it means half of all vinyl records sold are sold to people who, who don't own a turn, but half of all the people, but lots of people are buying vinyl records that don't own a turntable. They, and I, and part of what they're doing is they like the, the the physical and aesthetic appeal of the record. I hang it up on their wall. They keep it someplace on display. But also, I think they know that if I buy a record from an artist, I've that artist has made more money off that sale, that of that one record, than if I stream them thousands of times on Spotify. I, I don't do you do you know this artist called Iniko? She sang this um I think it's I am woman or this affirmation song. There was a bit of a conversation about her last year, um, where she had put up her song on TikTok, but TikTok ended up giving or paying some other persons who made the song popular and you know there was some social media fallouts and now she's going on about how people are trying to coerce her manager into 
um, saying yes to deals that she has said no to. So I think that's something else that, you know, creates my independent creatives my experience where putting their content on social media platforms like TikTok, um, acknowledgement issues may come up, especially when the person is like a social media influencer and, you know, there's room for you to create original audios now and you just get snippets, snippets, snippets and you just put all of them together. I do know that this, this social media platform have um, their own internal mechanism for resolving copyright infringement claims. But I think that's another trend that we'll be seeing more, especially because TikTok is growing. Sure. I mean, other than other than the hearing they had a couple of weeks ago as to the effects on children, well, on the creative aspect, on the creative ground, I think we'll see more of um, dispute as to ownership of original sounds, uh, musical right. works on TikTok. Um, you know, someone wanted to get um, a percentage or um, control of some of the exclusive rights that create that particular creative in question has um, regarding that that work. But let's get your final words on anything sure. copyright related that you want to share with us. All right, thanks everybody for for hanging on to all this. If you were confused. Uh, if you were confused by everything that we talked about with the Ed Sheeran trial, that was kind of my point. Um, I, I do think these lawsuits get complicated and I have a lot of respect for New York jurors. I'm from New York and I, I've sat on a New York jury, uh, but the tasks that they're given are a little bit too much. I think that there are lots of great ways to support songwriters. I support songwriters. I think I think if you write a hit song, if you write a let's get it on, or what's going on, you deserve the money from it, right? Um, your children and your children's children deserve money. They deserve the money off Let's Get It On. They deserve the money off Zombie. And um, um, But there are better ways we can preserve your rights to make money than just by suing over sound alikes. Sure. And there are, real, there are a lot of good people, we know them, that advocate on behalf of songwriters that advocate on behalf of getting their fair share from streaming services, radio, record companies. Um, these are the things, these are the things that we can do that'll really help songwriters and their heirs in the long run. Wow. In the meantime, keep on listening to Rita's show. She's great. Uh, if anybody you. ever wants to chat with me, my name is Mark Jaffe, Five Bridges Law. Uh, that's Mark J. Kings on TikTok and Twitter. And Rita, yeah, we Thank should chat you. sometime, sometime, you know, not recorded. Sometime soon. <laughs> definitely, definitely. We could, we could set up a meeting other than, you know, virtual conversations. Absolutely. Um, it's been a pleasure having you back here again. Thank you so much for coming to, you know, discuss this this hot topic. I mean, it's, it's, it's like on everybody's lips now. It's not yet, it's not a week yet. And right. everyone is still talking about the case. I guess maybe a lot of people are happy for Ed Sheeran. Uh, and yeah. also the fact that the jury was able to come up with, you know, their judgment in three good hours, you know, all of this conversation. But thank you so right. much for coming back again. I'm sure we'll have a more um, semi, or let's say we'll have a hybrid event soon. Um, sure. Yeah, but uh, I hope you had a good time here. 
because um, I did, and I learned a lot as well um, about how things work in the U.S., uh, you know, in especially the termination aspect, really, really important. Mm -hmm. um, well, yeah, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank okay. You. All right. Thanks, Rita. Yeah. So it's a wrap for episode 99 with Mark Jaffe. Thank you once again. And for my IP friends who listen throughout, if you found this episode really insightful, please send a message to Mark Jaffe if it's for copyright related issue in the US and it's for and if it is for copyright related issue in Nigeria, you can always reach out to me. My email ipseries4gmail.com, ipseries on all other social media platforms. Thank you, thank you, thank you, guys. And we are counting down to episode 100. <laughs> Super excited, guys. Anyways, have a fantastic week, guys. Bye.